Praise the Lord. So I'm, I hope and trust and believe you've been enjoying the uh, theme on Colossians that we've been running for the last uh, four or so weeks. And Pastor Aaron is now coming to conclude that. So let's give him a warm welcome. It's because they thought you were going to say something else, isn't it? So they're just ready, waiting for that. If you have your Bibles, can you just take to the book of Colossians, if that's all right? We are going to conclude the series today. Uh, and then we're going to dovetail and streamline into Christmas. And to help you with the focus, isn't it? Christmas must be in celebration and Christ, Christ, the celebration of Christ. And so you're, we've just prepped you for Christmas, really, in centralizing Christ into your life. Uh, particularly over this season. I just want to read, if I can, just to overlap for a little bit from last week into uh, chapter 4 as well. So turn to chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 12. And since God chose you to be the holy people, he loves you must, the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must always forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness Fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching. You serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you've done, for God has no favorites. Masters, just be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And that is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Heavenly Father, we ask right now as the people of God that we are ready to hear the word of God. 
Lord, and we pray that we wouldn't just hear it today, but we would implant it into our heart, that we would obey the Word of God. Give us the ability by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God and to know how we can apply it into our lives, that we may live missionally in the community in which you've placed us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you a very small intro to the book that you already should know, uh, just to remind you to get you there, this book is written by Paul and Timothy as a collaborative effort, and there were princes held in Rome, and they're writing to the church in Colossae, which is found in western Turkey. So Epaphras, and then if you move uh, further east, you'll get Colossae, and there's a little trio of towns of Hierapolis, Hierapolis. Hierapolis. Good, thank you. In your head, it just sounds weird, doesn't it? And then the Laodicea, that's easier to say. Uh, and things like that. So it's, it's positioned there in the middle, and, and Paul is writing to them. Paul's a granddad. It's really key that you get this granddad concept, because he's never been to Colossae. What he does know is he knows the church planter of Colossae. His name's Epaphras. And so Epaphras has traveled and he's having dialogue with Paul and saying, these are the challenges I've got in Colossae. And even Epaphras is not the pastor, but he's planted the area, so he knows what's going on. So Paul having not been there, he's a granddad. Now, I don't know if you had a great granddad, but my granddad's not around, you know. But I kind of, in, in preparing this, I just had this thought. I wonder what my granddad would tell me today. If the things I need to know... As a younger man, what, what wisdom would he share me? Colossae is the wisdom of a granddad in the faith sharing to a young church. And this is why it's really important that we understand what is being said. And we get right in the middle of this crossroads of this town when all many different ideas were being transported in from the, the Roman Greco world of different ideas that weren't godly, that weren't Jesus, and they were merging in. And Paul was saying, you need to get out the stuff that's not Jesus, and you need to get in the stuff that is Jesus. And simply, if you can imagine a crossroads of any town... You need to position the cross right at the center of the crossroads of your life. And for me, in the way my brain works, it's like my brain is this huge map. And in the center, I need to position the cross of Christ in the center of my thinking and my life and my world. I want to start with this. So I had the privilege of going to PJ and Kay's wedding. Um, and it was on Friday. It was a beautiful day as is. But weddings don't just happen. You probably know this, isn't it? You know, so if you went, you had an invitation months in advance, you know, and on the invitation, it was like a black tie event, isn't it? So I have one wife, one daughter, and one daughter-in-law, and suddenly they see the dress code that pops up in there, and it's this huge conversation of what do we wear? I mean, I'm sure you know that guys just go to the cupboard, take a suit out, have a shower, brush their hair, they're good to go. Isn't it? They obviously put the suit on as well. Just alone. But you understand that it is quite a simple process, I think, for guys. They might polish their shoes because it's special occasions. But it, there's this whole thing that's going on of what do I, what do I wear? But actually for the, the family of both the bride and groom, it's not just about sending invites and getting to ready. They've got to prep the venue, you know, and they've got to get everything and the food and the favors, you know, and the whole plan. And it's like this huge machine and it's like this whole thing. And we're all there in the room and we're waiting and everything's done and it's there and we're waiting for the bride to happen, to arrive. And then somebody who starts to get bored sees so going shh, 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 shh. And everybody goes quiet thinking the bride is and the bride's nowhere near. 
And then we all start chatting again. And then again, we had this whole thing for half an hour. We waited for the bride to arrive in all her splendor and in her glory. Because this is what happens when the bride arrives, everything changes. The whole purpose of the day is about to happen. It made me think about the book of Colossia because when Jesus is in the room, I want us to imagine everything changes. There's a song that we sing, when you walk into the room, everything changes. You know, and what is it like for the King of glory to walk into this room, to walk into your life, to walk into your mind, to walk in there and just be present? What do you want to say to him? How do you feel about that? What do you want to know? How do you respond to that? And, and the starting journey that we have in finishing the book of Colossae is that we are called to be a Christ-centered community. And in order to do that, we have to be Christ-centered in our worship and in our prayer. Let the Word of God, Colossians 3 verse 16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed or everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks To God the Father through him. A Christ-centered environment is centered around the worship of God and the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He speaks through his word. He reveals himself through our worship when we realize this. you know, And it begs the question, why have we come today into the presence of God? Have we come because the coffee is great? Or because you've heard that there's cake from the wedding that's come over, that there is cake from the wedding after the service, by the way, that's coming, you know, it's like great, isn't it? Or have you come because you just love the people here and you love to catch them? Or have we come to meet with the King of Kings? I, I realize in looking at my life, I really haven't met many famous people, if, if any. And I was like, who would I like to meet? And if they walked into the room, what would I say? What would I ask them? How would I want to connect with them? But it just put me through to what would I say if Jesus in all his glory was to reveal? How would we think about our lives? We must be a people centered around the presence of Jesus Christ. Colossians 4 verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open as a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Prayer is constant communication with Jesus Christ. And to be a Christ-centered church, we need to talk to Jesus. We're in a culture by which we will talk about our life to everybody else but the one person who knows the answer. And so whatever you're going through, can I just put very simply, have you spoken to Jesus about it? There's a reason sometimes you don't want to, because you don't want to hear him, because you already know that you shouldn't be doing what you're about to ask. That is just a fact of our flesh. But I would say this, ask him anyway. Because Jesus is so gentle and so loving and so caring and so wise. And he knows us so intimately that he knows how to speak to us. He knows how to speak to us in a way that we would listen. 
Because who knows when our parents speak to us, we don't always listen. Is that just me? Or just Who knows that when your wife speaks to you, that you don't always listen in the way that you should. But Jesus, he knows. He knows how to get out here if we ask him and speak to him into our life. So we need to be Christ-centered as a church in our worship and in our prayer. And the reason I say that is simply because my experience is this. When I worship Jesus, I am transformed by him. Transformation happens in the presence of God. See, God is everywhere. Where can I go from the Spirit? That's a theological point. But there's a point in your life where suddenly you're aware God's there. And when we're aware and we step into the awareness of the presence of God, suddenly there's a dialogue between you and him by which he starts to speak to reveal himself and you are transformed. So we start as a church that is centered around the presence of God. And we're a Christ-centered community around the presence of God. And then we start to move because actually what happens is the presence of God starts to transform our lives. You don't stay the same in the presence of God. You change. Two weeks ago, there was a, a man stood on this platform uh, speaking on a Saturday, a leader's day that I was attending. And his name was Mark. Now, Mark was preaching about how he had been to Brazil and how he had seen so many healings and miracles out that God was working because the presence of God was so rich in Brazil. But Mark's story didn't start in Brazil. It started in the prison in Channing Wood. Because Mark has got tattoos all down one side of the face, all on that. He's got literally a huge picture of the devil on his back. He's covered in tats because he was a lifelong criminal until he found himself in prison in the presence of God in his prison cell. His story that it was so rich and so powerful and he felt so wrong and so dirty and, and convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit that he literally got out of bed and he started to wash his body because one of the only things that he thinks he could do in his prayer to God was to clean himself up. He invited Jesus into his life and from that day he forgave every one of his sins and a transformation took place in him that he came to this church you know, and he went for a discipleship program and he became the caretaker, you know, and, and he started to help and serve and he grew in God and he met a young lady who was a doctor and they fell in love and they got married and now they felt the call of God to be a pastor and they're pastors of the church in Barnstable and he was standing here as a transformed person in Christ because he'd encountered God in the presence of God. See, a Christ-centered environment transforms our lifestyle, spiritually and physically. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, our Father, through him. Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord. Rachel, last week, talked about our behavior, that we're transformed in our behavior. And that, that's our, our words that we speak. We're transformed in our thinking. And, and I kind of really feel in society we need a transformation of our thinking because the stuff that goes through our head not, is not always good. I, 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 the average is 60,000 thoughts. Of those, 75% of them are negative. You know, 90% are repetitive. You know, I reckon I've got more thoughts than that. And if you're anxious and you have that, then you probably have more thoughts again because it's all going through. And yet when we're in the presence of God, he's able to come and meet those thoughts and start to shape our thoughts and start to take out unhealthy thoughts. 
put to death that which is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing one another. In the presence of God, you suddenly become aware of the things that you're wearing or carrying. You need to take off. So negative thinking, bitterness, impure thoughts. When you're in worship, I just need to take that off. It's a natural thing. Because you realize the holiness of God is found in the worship of God. And the holiness of God is coming close to you and saying, actually, I want to touch you. Because whatever God touches, he makes holy. He cleans up what the presence of God touches. So the Old Testament law is all about don't touch those things that contaminate us because sin has the ability to transform onto us. But so I don't know if you ever realized, but when Jesus touches you, he can make you holy. He can clean up your mind. He can clean up your words, your actions. Things. And there's something that's quite natural and quite refined going, actually, this, what I'm carrying is heavy and it makes me feel bad and what I'm doing isn't good. And then the holiness of God, the presence of God comes and it touches us and we just want to take that off. But we don't stand naked before God. We actually then start putting good things on. And we realize those good things were designed because we fit in the presence of God. See, love fits you. Have you ever got too big for your jeans? January's coming, so this is going to happen, by the way. You understand that? There's stuff in your life, and sin is one of them, when you realize this doesn't fit, and this is too heavy, and this is cumbersome, and this is itchy. And I can't relax in any of this thing. God says, because you're never designed to wear that, take it off. Put on. Love, compassion, meekness. Caring thoughts. I was just thinking about my words. Put on good words. If I'm compassionate and I'm wearing compassionate clothes, I start to think, what does it sound like? Josh was speaking at the wedding and he's such an excellent communicator in his thoughts. And he's talking about compassion and being aware of the pain of others, but also having the desire to want to help. I was like, I love that. I put on compassion. And somebody shares that pain, and I see it in a day life. And we do. We see each other's pain, don't we? Thank you for sharing with me. It sounds like you're dealing with a lot at the moment. I'm really sorry to hear that you're feeling like that. I'm really impacted by your pain. That sounds really tough. Is there anything I can do to help? Be that person. Because you're in the presence of Christ. He transforms you, not to think about yourself, but to think about others. Be the patient listener that says, can you tell me what's going on? If you want to tell me more, I'm here to listen. I've noticed that you haven't been yourself. Is there anything on your mind? I can see this is hard for you to open up about, but it's okay. You can take your time. I'm not in any rush. Some of you are thinking what to buy others for Christmas. Why don't you give some time? It's a great gift. 
How about humble words? Taking the moment to see people and what they do and actually see how good they are rather than kind of working on our own insecurities but actually seeing, going, wow, I saw you volunteering in the cafe today. I saw you come in early before everyone else. I saw you put the cups out and I saw you get them set up. I saw you serve everyone with a smile and that you waited patiently and then washed up the cups afterwards and cleared everything away after people had gone. You're so good at serving. You do it so much better than I could ever do. Thank you. You realize you've got the ability to put on great words. Because words transform lives. You can only speak those words if you've been transformed yourself. And you become a life giver. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here's a question. What would Jesus say to the person that you're in a conversation with? Because if you've been in the presence of God, you will know what he's likely to say. Some people have come up to me and said, Aaron, I feel God is saying. And it's sometimes strange because I listen to what they've said. I'm like, that doesn't sound like God at all. And they're like, why not? Because God, I don't think, would say that. That doesn't sound like his character, and it's certainly not in the Bible. You, you understand, you can hear it when something is not right. Because the Holy Spirit do that. So we have this Christ-centered community found in the presence of God that affects our Christ-centered lifestyle. And then you watch what happens in the passage. It moves into our Christ-centered relationships. So wives submit to your husbands. I felt nervous when I was studying this. I have to tell you. Because <laughs> I was like, do you want me to talk about this on Sunday? Uh, and the reason I felt nervous is because I generally, if I'm honest, felt this has been translated so badly in communication, so badly in church, that the way I've seen it presented is like men, in particular, just saying to their wives, going, Oi, submit to me. That, and, that, and I've had people in the pastoral environment um, telling me this, and I just sit there slightly bemused and going, How did that work out for you when you told your wife to submit to you? <laughs> This huge lump on the right, I know. <laughs> so I thought I'd dig it a little bit and just say, what, what's the translation? Where does it come from? I found where the word comes from. And it's like a military formation within the Roman formation when they were so good at forming a military structure, you know, like the turtle under the shield cord and form. You know, and they pull that to mean that whole strength. The actual word to submit is to listen to the instructions that's given and work together. So I, I want us to get, when it gets into the word submission, because this will follow through, because it's the same word that speaks into children who obey their parents. It's drawn from the same root word, by the way. Submission is working together for a common aim. That's empowering. That's not dominating. That's not abusive. That's not downtreading. That's, you know what? We're married. We want to work together. Imagine if couples sat down and said, what is this challenge that we're facing? And we, let's work it through together. 
it's, a, it's interesting to understand what we're fighting for and what we're fighting against. And I realize in the context of the scripture that actually, I don't know if that's society or whether it's a British thing or things like that, but I realize it's very easy to get into an adversarial model within a relationship by which it's two individuals going, well, I want my way and I want my way. And I realize that pulls the marriage, the relationship apart. And the key word switches from adversarial to advocate. See, how is the Holy Spirit described? He is your advocate, the one who comes alongside. That is the presence of God. If God can stand beside me, guys, you can stand beside your wives and be for them. And support them. As husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, you know. And just to let you know how Christ loved the church, he died for the church. This sacrificial thing, this empowering relationship. And I realize in in thinking it helps you in all of your relationships. If we're going to feel Christ-centered relationships that we think, how can we work together? Because you're not the enemy. There is an enemy who is looking to divide families and marriages and relationships through various tools of dishonesty, disloyalty, lies, domination, manipulation. None of that is a Christ-centered relationship. But what if wives deploy themselves in support of husbands? What if wives went to battle for their husbands? In the prayer room. What if wives defended their husbands in our society? Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Agapeo. Unconditional love. Welcome them. Entertain them. Be fond of them. Love them dearly. Be well pleased. Be contented with. Fight for them. Do not be bitter. Do not be harsh. Do not exasperate. Do not render them angry. Do not irritate your wives. Put your hand up if you're a man you've irritated your wife. I, I, I know this. So I don't worry. It's okay. It's okay to be honest. I know I'm just a little joke. Like, because... However you know this, I'm just totally imperfect. (laughs) I have some adhering attributes, I'm sure. But sometimes I don't feel like being the best husband or doing the right thing. But that's not what it's about. It's actually investing into each other and suddenly saying, you are of value. I'm going to get up. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. It says Guys, dads, don't break your spirit of your children. The reason, go back to where we're found in the presence of God, to change us so that we can be transforming. Put your children in the environment by which they can grow and your words are speaking life over them and into them. And here's the thing in relationships, by the way. It doesn't matter whether you're a husband or a wife or even single. You're in a relationship at some level. And the same values of submission and supporting and champion and working together are exactly the same. And that is the formation of our church. Children, obey your parents. Listen to them. Understand them. Act upon instruction. And I feel... 
that if we're going to follow the Colossian church, what Paul is saying, we need to create an environment of growth, of safety, and of love by which everybody is grown. And if you look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, and think of it as far as an environment, how do we create an environment that celebrates Jesus? It says this, the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, of which there's no law against these things. And I break this down into my family and say, what does my family look like full of love? Christmas. What's a loving Christmas look like? Joy and peace. And patience and kindness. <laughs> patience, as I said that, I actually thought of the family board games that we'll play over Christmas, you know, and it all gets a little bit hot under the cold. No, I'm sure your family's not like that. <clears throat> Goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Keith, you can give him the nod if you want. That's right. <laughs> See, I, I want to commend the people who attended the wedding from this church. And the reason I want to tell you why, a couple of things. Talk to the barman. The barman's like, this is an unusual wedding, simply because we haven't taken as much alcohol today as we normally do at this wedding venue. He said, that's because there's a lot of Christians here. He said, but what's interesting now, he said, the fun aspect that's in this wedding, the, the numbers of people on the dance floor enjoying themselves is different. So it's all about levels, by the way. It, there obviously in society is a level of alcohol and a level of number of people on the dance floor, right? So here on this wedding, the alcohol level is down, but the number of the people on the dance floor is up. I like that culture. Let me tell you something about the young adults of which I'm incredibly proud because this is what I see about you. And some of you are in and you'll know this. You're not hitting on the girls in an environment like this. You're dancing with them and you're enjoying it. The laughter, the joy, the exuberance, the freedom, the liberty that you have that is not fueled by alcohol, nor fueled by lust or directed by violence. It is Christ-centered. This is our young adults, of which we should be proud. They're not replacing us as the church. They're part of what God is doing. Because if you look at that, we stood at the wedding of PJ and Kay and we hope in the few years that the children come into that relationship and they understand the culture. I walked into the service, which is a venue used uh, normally for secular weddings and by which there's no religious aspect around required by law. It's banned, except on this day, because the way we set it, you walk in, there's a cross right in the middle of that. And it goes back to this. I want to finish if I can because we move transformed by the presence of God who transforms our lifestyle, who transforms our relationships and then we end up in a, what's called a Christ-centered community. If you study the names of the people in the back section of Colossians chapter 4 of Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Justus and Epaphras and Luke and Demas and Nympha Archippus, they are his family group that are not related to him, but they're his brothers and sisters in Christ who form this community because they're all centered around the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they travel and they go, we are going to spread the great news of Jesus all over the world because they've been transformed by the presence of Jesus. See, one of them in that list, I like trivia, 
You want to know who it is? You have to go and study and find it. He chooses to become a prisoner with Paul to support him as a prisoner. He gives up his freedom to serve the ministry of Paul. What a great family that is. When we realize my life is not my own, it is for the community of Christ in which I'm called to live. Luke is mentioned in the Bible. He's the writer of Luke's gospel. He's the writer of the book of Acts. He's actually Paul's assistant. And he's in there traveling. And, and, and they're having all sorts of adventures, sometimes getting beat up, sometimes having to run out of a city. But they're constantly going, actually, we've been transformed so much by Jesus and we see so much toxicity in the world that our mission as missionaries is to carry the presence of Jesus. And it doesn't matter where we go. We're just going to carry Jesus as a community. you know. And you can see Paul through that back end of the book, even Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, who's ran away from Philemon he takes him he grows him he speaks life into him he puts him back together and he sends him back to Philemon and said I'll present him back to you transformed he was useless to you now he's useful I love the transforming nature of Jesus Christ you're not transformed just to live in isolation you're transformed to live in relationship. You're transformed to live in community. I'm going to invite you to just bow your head right now. And I'm going to offer you the opportunity to recommit yourself to Christ. If you're in today, it's your first time in church. And you just want to be part of it. You just need to say to Jesus, Jesus, yes, count me in. And for everybody here, just say in your own prayer, Jesus, I invite you. I want to center my life around you. I want to be transformed by the presence of God. And I understand that this is a process, not just a one-off event. And in these days that lie ahead, as I find you in my home space, in my worship space, would you transform me? God, would you transform our relationships? Would you transform our families? Would you transform our communities? Because you are living in us and through us. May our words be so seasoned with Christ behaviors reflect you. May the world see that Jesus is living in us as a community. God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you evict every damaging influence or behavior or action or word that would destroy your people and would you release that we might put on all of these great things as a church. Would you grow us? Would you bless us? Would you bring us together as a family? Would you strengthen us? As a band of brothers and sisters in Christ, we would carry the gospel in this generation far and wide. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand and worship the final song?